Praise God. <laughs> we wanted to take a moment as we're coming up to the end of the year to just pause and say thank you to the Lord. Jesus said the gospel, this gospel, will be preached in every nation, and then the end will come. And the simple truth is that every time Jesus had a need, God had a man or a woman to meet that need. We think so many times that Jesus is always doing these supernatural things, but when Jesus needed a, a colt a donkey, he, his disciples went and started untying one, and the guy who owned the donkey said, what are you doing? And they said, Jesus needs it. He said, sure, go ahead. And he needed an upper room, and they followed a guy to his house, and he said, where's the place? And he said, here it is, and uh, he needed money. Uh, Luke 8 says women who had been he'd driven demons out and they'd been healed and miracles and, they, and these women traveled with Jesus and his disciples and they basically funded his ministry. Feasts were held in his honor, needed a home and a room and, a, and, and uh, provisions. And When Jesus had a need, God had a person. And that idea that ministry is always attended by somebody who's being generous to see that that ministry goes. And we just wanted to take a moment to say thank you to you for your generosity during this year. So many times we feel like the extravagant gestures of devotion are the ones that stand out to the Lord. You know, the, let the Lamb of God receive the reward of his suffering was the cry of the Moravians. And, you know, the, the most fav famous two guys who sold themselves into slavery to get into the West Indies because it was the only way they could get in to preach to the slaves. So they sold themselves into slavery. And as the ship was leaving the harbor, they screamed across the harbor, let the lamb receive the reward of his suffering. It became the, 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 the chant of the Moravian church. And I go, so we, we hear those things and we go, that's wonderful. But I want to say the lamb, uh, the reward for the lamb's suffering is also a husband who faithfully goes out and earns the money and works hard and is faithful to his wife. That's also why the lamb died. A wife who works hard and helps with the kids and maybe homeschooling or maybe doing, working hard in a career, that's also why the lamb died. Amen. Is that okay? So the, the faithfulness, the long persistent faithfulness in a good direction is also why the lamb died. And so it's one thing to celebrate those extravagant gestures, but I also wanted to take a moment to celebrate your consistent faithfulness in one direction of that, that together as a group of people, we're pressing this gospel forward into neighbors and nations. Uh, uh, this gospel is going out. We're about, uh, we're, we're coming up on about four times our best ever. We're, our previous best was 51 people got saved in a year through Northlands. This year we're, we're gonna break 200. Next, yeah, amen. <laughs> Praise God. I'm trusting God for double, at least double that next year. Yeah. Let's trust God for some salvations around you. And um, uh, through the, the various things, as you saw, I was speaking uh, with Leif this week, and I was speaking with Daniel Kogwa, who you showed both on the video. Leif said in Cuba, through the, that couple who said, thank you for the goods you sent, because they were able to go out and, and show love in a practical way to their neighbors, They've planted 61 what they call houses of love throughout Cuba. These are little home groups that are potentially going to become churches all over. 61 of them have been planted by that group since your giving. And Daniel said because of the conference we had and the, and the memory sticks you gave, 
They've planted 42 churches this year so far, all across Uganda. He said it's astounding. We, we did this conference, and one of the, one of the guys who was the, um, the most vocal opponent of grace, uh, a bishop, and uh, that bishop came to the meetings we didn't know. And he sat in the back, and then they had a meeting recently where they gathered all the guys to say, because Daniel, these churches are being planted now so prolifically, and there's such favor because so many pastors came, and, and the gospel is being preached all over the nation of Uganda. Whereas five years ago, they all but banned the, the idea about the gospel of grace. They said it's licentiousness, we're not having it. Now it's spreading out through, the whole, through these conferences. And the guy who was the worst proponent, they were, he was in a meeting, Dana told me last month, and they got all the bishops together, and they were all going, this is wrong, we must resist this. And he said, um, tell me what's wrong with it. And they said, well, you know, and so he said, no, I was there. I went there. And he said, I heard, and they preached nothing that wasn't truth. And he said, so if you can show me that it's wrong, then come and show it to me. But that thing is going to be allowed in our nation. So, amen. Praise God. So, we build churches that transform lives by experiencing grace in the Holy Spirit. And we're seeing this all throughout the year. Your generosity has made a difference. And I want to talk about this idea. I just want to stop on this idea for a little moment because this is always the way the gospel has been pushed forward. It's so often we hear about the stories of the, the famous people, the famous preachers who moved the gospel, and we go, wow, that, that's, that's beautiful. But there is always a ministry of giving that stands behind the ministry of preaching, yeah. right? Yeah. It's always a support of the gospel that allows people to be impacted by it. Corinthians, Paul talks about this as the ministry of giving, and in Romans, he talks about the grace gift of giving. Some people are graced to be able to give generously. William Tyndale was the guy who brought the English Bible into England. He did it at a time when the Pope had, had said that there was a constitution that banned any sort of translation of the Scriptures out of Latin into any other language. And Tyndale had met a guy called Henry Monmouth, and Henry Monmouth was a rich cloth merchant, and they connected over the gospel. And Tyndale had this passion to bring the, gospel, the, 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 the Bible into English. He wanted a New Testament in English, so he started that. But he was being persecuted, and so Monmouth put him up in his home. He hid him, basically, and put him up and allowed him the, the time to start translating the Bible into English. When they eventually found out uh, Tyndale escaped and went to where Martin Luther was, and he, he carried on the English translation, but Monmouth was arrested, this cloth merchant, and he was in jail in the Tower of London for over a year for his stand. Uh, eventually, they translated the Bible, and they were smuggled. They smuggled in 3,000 versions of the Scriptures in cloth merchants all over the country. Monmouth and his group of sellers brought the Bible back in. They hid them in flower sacks and in cloth sacks, and the, this, this exploded, and it, it really was the fuse for the English Reformation and changed the face of the nation. Monmouth obviously arrested Tyndale in, in, um, in Europe, but eventually Tyndale was arrested, brought back to England, and was strangled for bringing the Bible into English. He was killed by strangulation. His last prayer was, God opened the eyes of the King of England. 
and then he died. <laughs> My point is, you heard about Tyndale, you probably haven't heard about Monmouth. But without Monmouth, the gospel doesn't get into England. Without Monmouth, that doesn't get translated. It was Monmouth and his courage and his sacrifice that created something profound. You've heard of George Whit Whitfield. You probably haven't heard of Lady Huntington. Lady Huntington was a British aristocrat whose husband had died, and she met Whitfield, and she said to him, you, you need to come and be part of something that I'm doing. So she invited a group of politicians and lords and ladies and, and actors and writers to her house, and she had <laughs> Whitfield preach. Whitfield's first sermon was on the evils of mammon. She gathered all her rich friends, and his first sermon was, woe to you, you, know, you better watch out. But they were so captivated by him that they began to open up uh, all over England. And then when he came to the U.S., the, the same group of people opened up. They started with the, the, the rich and the famous. Earl of Chesterfield and Lord Bolingbroke were two names you may have heard of, but they were two people who stood, came there, heard the gospel, transformed their lives, and began to stand with him. She moved to Bath in, in England, if some of you may know. And she built a chapel there where Whitfield would then preach. It has always been the way that behind everybody who's going to preach the gospel, there is somebody who uses their business acumen and their strength and their force of position to push the gospel forward. The gospel fire in some people's hearts causes them to preach and in others it allows them to be generous and use their position for the cause of the advance of the gospel. Jesus said, this is the way it's always going to be. 2 Corinthians 9 Paul said this, there's no need for me to write to you about this service of the Lord's people. For I know your eagerness to help. I've been boasting about you to the Macedonians. Telling them that since last year, you in Achaia were ready to give. And your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. Later on, he says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but also is overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you prove yourselves, others will praise God for their obedience that accompanies the confession of your, of your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everybody else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that give, God has given to you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I wanted to take a moment to say thank you. But I also wanted us to uh, get a sense that we together have been able to move the kingdom downfield. Uh, it's always been my desire that uh, if, if uh, Northlands for some reason was taken out of this community, would the community mourn? I know some of the members would mourn, hopefully. <laughs> but if we took Northlands out of our community, would the community go, what happened to them? You can't do that. We need that. Where's that church? Because what impact are we, are we having in our community? What change, what transformation, what proclamation of the gospel of Jesus, what demonstration of his love? And I just wanted to say thank you. Because every now and again, we get an opportunity to just take pause and say, look what the Lord has done. Look what he's enabled us to do. And it's been an incredible pleasure and privilege to see your generosity, your steadfastness. Uh, and I know that some, some of you, times have been tough. And you've never wavered. 
You didn't pull back. You didn't slow down. You didn't not give because, uh, you know, times were tough. You were generous, and we honor you for that. So I, um, I know this might be a little tacky, but if you would stand with me, and let's just give somebody a high five around you, because we did this together, all right? So, so I know, just, all right, wait, wait before you high five. Just stand, you can stand up, stand up, let's just stand. And, um, and, and just, just, are we gonna, this is gonna be 10 seconds, just, just high five as many people as you can, and just say, we did this together. Here we go, let's go. God. So cool. Um, I want to carry on in our sermon series, The Goodness of God, and um, I want to preach this message in return for all his goodness to me. And that phrase comes out of a psalm that uh, David wrote, and it says this in verse 7, it says, return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. And then verse 12, what shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? That, that word, um, oh, behind. Can we get that scripture up? Psalm 116? There you go. That, that phrase that says dealt bountifully with you is the same word used when he talks about his goodness. It's, it means this, this abundant overflow because of goodness. So the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. He didn't just give me enough. He didn't give me a little bit less than enough. He didn't give me just a little bit more than enough. He, he gave me more than I would need, possibly. That bounty from his goodness, that excess of goodness. And that's what the psalmist writes. He says, the Lord has dealt excessively good, goodly to me. And what can I return to the Lord for all that goodness? For all that beauty that he's done in my life? And that's a great question, because what return is within our power that can be equal to his bounty? How can we probably uh, acknowledge what the Lord is doing for us? What can we repay him with? The question is natural and appropriate. Because we do this when somebody comes to us and gives us a, a gift that is excessive and generous. We say, I, I, that's too much. I can't, I can't take that from you. There's a sense of obligation. If somebody comes and does something for you that you know you can't repay, you, you recoil at the, look, that's, I can't take that. That's too much. I don't want to be in your debt. I, 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 this is too much. And we do that just naturally. But when we come to the Lord, it's easy to forget the constant bounty of the Lord. What's an ad- adequate return for a love like His? For mercies that are so great. For sacrifices that are so all-encompassing. There are probably some people sitting here who are just aware of your own need and your lack or your own vulnerability and you're going, look, 
that's great, but I'm not experiencing any bounty from God. I'm not experiencing any goodness from God. I hear you preaching about God's goodness. I believe He is good, but I'm not experiencing this. So if you're going to talk to me about how can I repay the Lord for His goodness to me and I'm not experiencing any goodness, then I'm sort of off the hook for the sermon, right? But I just sat back just briefly and began to think about that scripture. What are the Lord's goodnesses? What is His bounty to me? And so this is just, this week, my little meditation on what the Lord has done for me. And you can listen in to me. I'm preaching uh, in the first person here because I'm talking about what the Lord's done for me. And you may find that He's done the similar things for you. Number one, He ignored my rebellion. Because I don't know about you, but before I met the Lord, I was very deliberately anti the Lord. I was shaking my hand in his, in his face. Romans 5 says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might uh, dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I was shaking my fist in the face of God. I was screaming uh, abuse against him. I was in open rebellion to him and to everybody who represented him. I was being obnoxious and abusive and hard-hearted. And in that moment, in the worst of my rebellion, he found me and he drew me. And he showed his love to me in that his size was big enough to go beyond my tiny little hissy fits. I'm so glad the Lord is big enough to ignore my rebellion. I'm just so grateful to him that he ignored mine. I'm so grateful to Jesus that he ignored the rebellion of the people who took his hands and, and nailed them to a cross and used that act of their rebellion to be the source of their eternal salvation. What do you do with that kind of a God? He ignored my rebellion. And so I just, I just looked at some of the scriptures that talked about where I was and where I am now. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, I once was in the darkness. And now I'm light in the Lord. It says, once I was far away, but now I've been brought very near. Once I was not part of God's people, but now I am the people of God. Once uh, there was no mercy for me, but now I've received mercy. Once I was like a sheep that was running away, and now I've been guided by a shepherd. God found me in the darkness, and he brought me into the light. And I, who was far away from him by virtue of my life and the messes I was making, was washed clean and brought very near. When I didn't consider myself one of God's people, he made me one of his own. And when I had no right to mercy, when my actions had recommended me for punishment rather than for mercy, he showed me great mercy. And when I was a sheep going astray, he brought me back and promised to keep his kind shepherd's eye on me. I'm so glad the Lord ignored my rebellion. I'm so glad he was big enough to go past my ignorance. I'm so glad that my lack of love did not consume his great ocean of love. I'm so grateful my lack of faithfulness did not change his faithfulness because he cannot be unfaithful. He'd have to disown himself. What can I do for all his bounty to me? Some of you being stubborn and rebellious and obnoxious because you feel justified. I've got some good news for you. 
God's even bigger than you. He's bigger than that. I was, I was reading this week. This is for free. This is not in the notes. So, uh, Psalm somewhere, mid-80s, I think. He said, um, the Lord stoops down to look at the heavens and the earth. It's like, he's, he's higher than the heavens. He has to stoop down to look at the heavens. He has to stoop down to look at the earth. We go, oh, there's some giants on the earth. God is like, doesn't look like much to me. There's a giant of a God in you. Dreams, great dreams for you. He ignored my rebellion and then he wiped out every accusation. Colossians, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness that stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the principalities and powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He wiped out everything. The Bible says that there was a charge of legal indebtedness. There was a list of every one of my weaknesses and my sins and my rebellions that stood against me. I had committed those sins, and the penalty for those sins was death. That was the case against me, open and shut. I was proven to be the lawbreaker, and the law was clear about my offenses. There was no way out. And the only way out was God sent his own son to be my atoning sacrifice. And that's the only way that God could be both just and the one who justified me. Because he sent his own son to pay the full price of everything that every little check mark on that list that I had racked up, Jesus paid for. He wiped out every accusation against me. And the enemy came with a long list. I mean, it was a long list. Guys, here's case number 7,496 deserving of death. The Bible says Jesus took that, the case of the legal indebtedness of Greg Haswell, and he nailed it to the cross. And he triumphed over the enemy by the cross. And because that was destroyed, he took away all the enemy's weapons of accusation and condemnation and lying. He said, no, 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 you have nothing left. Amen. Except his own nature to lie. But Jesus removed my sin from me so that now I'm forgiven and made righteous. Jesus absorbed all of the wrath of God against me so that now I am favored. Jesus brought me back, bought me back from every form of bondage that I had sold myself into, and now I am free. Jesus declared me guilt-free. That's called justification. And now I'm acquitted. Jesus set me aside for sacred use so that now I am holy. It's called sanctification. Jesus restored me to a full relationship with God. So now I'm close to God. It's called reconciliation. Jesus gave me a new life, and I'm born again. It's called regeneration. Jesus took every aspect of anything that stood against me that was legally separating me from God, that there was nothing left. Jesus paid for it all. He took it down. He nailed it to the cross, and it's over because I'm in Christ. Woo. He wiped out every accusation. Well, I don't know. What do you mean God's been good to me?
You don't know how hard my life is. <laughs> Praise God. In addition to that, there's all these personal things that the Lord is doing. The personal engagements. The times he guides me. The times he whispers to me. The times he tells me and comforts me. The times he whispers to me of his love and encourages my life. The words he gives me. There's all these kindnesses in addition to all of that. And then thirdly, he, <laughs> he equipped me with every advantage. Romans 8. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. You're a the guy who goes out boxing and wins the world heavy, heavyweight title and he takes home $5 million for the fight, he's a conqueror. His wife who gets the check is more than a conqueror. <laughs> Amen. Right? She shares in the... She says, she's more than a conqueror. He's the conqueror. You're more than a conqueror because Jesus did all of that and then shared it all with you. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angel nor demon, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God not only ignored my rebellion, he, he, just, he just completely ignored my rebellion, but then in addition, he wiped out every accusation against me, and then... He equipped me with every advantage. So the Bible says, I'm hidden with Christ in God. He baptized me into the body of Christ. Then he sealed me in the body of Christ. And then he filled me with his spirit. And then he promised me, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And then he took me and he seated me with Jesus on his throne. And then he promised to always answer any prayer because I'm seated in heavenly places and I'm praying in Jesus' name. And then he gave me the mind of Christ and then he gave me a body to be a part of and then he blessed me with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus and then he gave me his nature to live into. Yeah. Well, I don't know where God's been good to me. Equipped me and equipped you with every advantage. His divine power, Second Peter says, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him. Everything you need for life and godliness has been given to you because you know Jesus. So the psalmist said, the question he posed, what can I do? What can I give? How do I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? And then he answers the question in the next verse. Verse 13. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. 
I lift up the cup of salvation. He says basically three things. I'm going to lift up the cup of salvation. He's alluding to the family feast. In, in Jewish culture, you would have a cup of salvation. When they did the Passover feast, one of the cups they would drink during Passover was a salvation. I'll save you. I'll bring you out of Egypt. I'll deliver you. So the, the cup of salvation, which is the one that Jesus picked up, by the way, at the feast. And he said after the meal, he picked up the cup of salvation. And he said, this is the blood of a new covenant in my blood. The psalmist said, I lift up the cup of salvation. This is something that you would do. It was like a, in our most closest thing in our culture is a toast. When everybody's attention, it's like this is a, a, an important meal. Everybody's attention. Everybody's got food. You go, ding, 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 ding. Hey, here's a toast to the Lord's goodness. Look how kind he's been to us. It's in effect what we're doing in this service. Look at what the Lord has done through your generosity. I will lift up the cup of salvation, the psalmist said. What am I going to do? I'm going to say, look what the Lord has done. I'm going to give thanks. I'm going to give testimony. Some of you need to give more testimony than you've been giving. Some of you need to let more thanks come out of your mouth. This is for free, and it's just because we've got some time. I, I, had a, I had an interesting word. My wife's going, what do you, what do you, I'm going to tell the story about you, babe. No, I'm just not. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they look on your face like, what are you going to talk about now? Um, one of the things I learned this year was interesting. I had a word of knowledge uh, uh, about the Lord gave me a, a lady's name and her birthday. And he said, her teeth are all falling out of her mouth. And it's because she's spoken curses and rebuke and nastiness over her children and her grandchildren. Tell her that if she, learn, if she speaks blessing over them, I'll heal her mouth. Now, that's a pretty harsh word, right? Yeah. And I'm sitting here, because I'm asking the Lord for a word of knowledge, and he gives me this, now I'm stuck, because now I either go for it or I don't, right? So I go, I don't know. Now, now, what's going on in my head, I'm having a theological issue with what the Lord's telling me. Like, I've never heard of this. Nobody, this is, they didn't cover this in Bible school. Like, this is... <laughs> So I, I said, How, you know, is there a lady here? This is your name and this is your birthday. And nobody answers. But that's okay because about 70% of the time I give words of knowledge, nobody answers anyway. And then they come up to me afterwards. So I'm used to it. So a lady comes up to me afterwards and said, that's my mom. That's my mom's name and her birthday. And I said, is your mom losing all her teeth? She said, yes. I said, then I have a word of the Lord for your mother. Don't tell your mom. Speak differently, and I'll heal you. I want to say that word to the church. Psalm 50 says, He who sacrifices thank offerings honors me, and he prepares the way for me to show him my salvation. Some of us need to learn how to be constant in our thanksgiving. And, and to see what that constant speaking of truth will do in your life. I think for some of us, it'll change our lives. Amen? Amen. I'm going to lift up the cup of salvation. I'm going to give honor and acknowledgement of his deeds and thanksgiving in meaningful and deliberate ways. I'm going to boast about the Lord. What happens if the Lord manifested in everything you boasted about him about? 
She said, you know, the Lord always comes through in prayer. And then, boom, the Lord did that. What happens if the Lord stepped into your boasting about him? What would he be given license to do? When we recognize what he's done, it keeps us current with him, and it's a way for us to further participate and experience what he's doing. So I just want to take 30 seconds. We're going to do it right now. I'm going to invite you to lift up a cup of salvation with me. Just 30 seconds between you and the Lord, where you say, Lord, thank you. Will you just take a moment to acknowledge his kindnesses to you and his generosity to you and the way he's led you and the way he's blessed you and the way he's kept you and the way he's sustained you and the promises he's made to you? I'm going to invite you along with me. Just in the next 30 seconds, we're going to turn our hearts to the Lord and I want you, as it were, to lift up a cup of salvation and say, Lord, this is what you've done and I just wanted to toast you. I wanted to make a toast to the goodness and the faithfulness and the kindness of God and say, I acknowledge you, Lord. Let's do that right now. Lord, we lift up the cup of salvation to acknowledge your kindness and your faithfulness, your goodness, your generosity, your constant eye watching over us. You never leave us or forsake us, Lord. You never slumber or sleep. You never take your eye off us. And just for a moment, Lord, together we come as a people to say thank you. We lift up this cup of salvation, a toast to the kindness of our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Second thing the psalmist said, he said, I'll lift up the cup of salvation and I'll call on the name of the Lord. It's easy in a modern world to get so caught up in <clears throat> technology and wealth and systems that we start to lean on those things much more deliberately and much more commonly than we ever look to the Lord. One of the ways we can honor the Lord is to call on Him. I will call on the Lord. I will train myself to look to Him with expectant eyes. I'm going to do something that says, oh, God, would you step in? I'm going to call on the name of the Lord. I'm going to look to him for help. I'm going to engage specifically and deliberately in prayer. Call on the Lord. Look hopefully to him. James says, is anyone in trouble? You should pray. 
How can I say thank you to the Lord for his goodness to me? The psalmist said, I'm going to call on his name. Because there's a compliment in that. There's faith built into that calling. There's a focus that God finds beautiful. I'm going to call on the Lord. As the psalmist says, oh, oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. Oh, that Israel would not be saved by some Egyptian army or some Assyrian mercenaries. Oh, that the salvation for Israel would come out of the presence of God. Oh, that God would step in and save us. Oh, that salvation for this United States would come out of Zion. Because I don't buy it's coming out of money. And I don't buy it's coming out of politics. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. I want to call on the name of the Lord. God, save us. God, give us wisdom. God, give us help. There's something profound. There's something that is a, a, an act of gratitude. It's a bowing of the knee. It's an open acknowledgement that this is the proper alignment. To humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that in due time He can lift us up. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and call, then I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin. I'll heal their land. Calling on the Lord with a settled belief is powerful for us and effective in our circumstances. So we're going to take 30 seconds to do just that. I'm going to invite you in the next 30 seconds to just come and say, Lord, I'm calling on you. This is what I'm trusting you for. This is what I need you to help me with. God, would you step into these circumstances? Father, would you make your name great? Jesus, would you show up and bring forth fruit? Lord, would you bring your kingdom into this circumstance? We're just going to call on the Lord because it's a way for us to say thank you to our King. You ready? Let's do that. Father, there are things that are in our heart that have deep desires. There are yearnings that you've put there. There are things, Lord, that are unrighteous and unjust in our world, and we call on you. God, would you bring your kingdom? Would you establish your rule, Lord? Would you, would you stir in our lives, Lord, a new passion and a new hunger for you and righteousness? Would you move among us, Lord, in unprecedented ways in these days? In Jesus' name. The third thing the psalmist said was, I'll fulfill my vows in the presence of his people. Can I tell you a secret? Jesus loves collaboration. He loves us to do our part while he's doing his part. And he then works to surround our part and to support it and to energize it and to make it something of profound and eternal. His anointing 
rests on something. So when we say we're going to do something, or we say we're going to say something, or we're going to give something, well, let's do it because as mysterious as this is, as strange as it seems, he's waiting to be a collaborator with us. Our part is necessary. Could he do it alone? Absolutely. But he didn't go through all of this to create a universe, to create a solar system, to create a garden, to create a people so that he never works with us. He went through all of this hassle, all of this creation, all of this mess of that we've made of his creation. He went to the cross to fashion for himself a people his very own so that he can work together with them. He means for you to do some things. He's got works prepared in advance for you to do. And so the psalmist said, I'm going to fulfill my vows. There are some things I said that I would get to, and I'm going to get to them. Some things I said I would do or places I said I'd be or things I would give, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to fulfill my vows, and I'm going to do it publicly. Why? So that everybody else is encouraged to do their piece. You have something to do. And it's not just sit and listen to me, although I appreciate that. Something for you to do. There's a dream. There's an eternal dream that God has for your life. There is eternal fruit He means for you to produce. There is a passion. There is a purpose. There is a dream God has for your life, and He's eager for you to do it, and He's going to whisper those things. The psalmist said, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. I'm going to be about the king's business. I will fulfill my vows in the sight of his people. Because this is what the Lord told me to do. This is what I'm doing. And his anointing will wrap around your effort and will make it perfect and beautiful in his sight. And his anointing will stir you and bless you. And something will happen to your little single step that he magnifies and makes eternal weight. Something there. Three lepers sitting outside of the city, starving like the rest of Israel. And God has said, tomorrow, bread is going to be cheap. And the guy said, there's no way that could happen. And these three little lepers are sitting outside the city gate, and they go, well, we're dead already. Why don't we go over there and ask them if they can share some of their bread? And so they start walking, and they take a step, and God just turns up the volume, and it sounds like an army. It sounds like a boom, boom sand, and boom. And that army gets freaked out. Whoa, they're coming. And they run away. So these three walk into a camp and there's no one there. God's got boom sand turned up on some of your steps and some of you are sitting down. It's time to take a step. I will fulfill my vows. I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. I want to take 30 seconds to just let the Holy Spirit say, let's get this done before the end of the year. Is that, is that good? Let's do that.
Lord, I know there's zero condemnation, but there's just excitement, Lord, in your heart because you've called us to do things that you prepared in advance for us to do. There are works, Lord. There are blessings. And I ask, Lord, that you give us clarity on all of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's have the cup of salvation. Call on the Lord. Fulfill vows publicly. Coming up on the end of the year, it's been a great year. It's been a great year in the kingdom. The year that is to come, 2023, it's going to be unbelievably good. Mark my words. Unbelievably good for anybody who keeps their eyes on Jesus. While the world goes from bad to worse, from mild panic to major panic, from fear to abject terror, the people of God are going to walk in peace along ways we've not known. And He's going to make the high places give water. He's going to make rivers in the desert and streams in the wasteland. And upon every high place, there'll be fruitful trees. Because God is determined to show a difference between those who believe and those who don't. Mark my words. It's going to be a great year for people to keep their eyes on Jesus.